welcome to Unshaken. I'm Julie Van Warmer, your host for today's episode. I'm so glad you're joining me. Hey, I want to tell you about a couple things before we jump into our episode. First off, head over to your socials, Facebook or Instagram, and follow or like us at Women of the Word CTW. This is our umbrella account that covers and highlights all the ministries of the Women of the Word Ministry of Christ the Word Church. It includes our blog called Planted, great content. It includes our mom-to-mom ministry for mothers. It includes our Regarding Him conference. It happens yearly in March. And of course, it includes this podcast, Unshaken. There's so much good content you are going to want to follow, so do it today. That will be in our show notes each and every week. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast directory. It helps us out, but it also helps you out because you get notification of new episodes that drop each and every Thursday. You can also reach out to me at unshakenpsalm622 at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you if you have ideas, suggestions, or even thoughts about an episode that you heard. Finally, as you know, Unshaken is a podcast for women, put on by women, and our goal is to encourage and challenge and point women to Jesus Christ. And as you know, with Jesus, we can be unshaken no matter our circumstances. Hey, let's head into today's episode. All right, today is episode number 101. And this is just a little mini series inside of our regular episodes. It's called Book Chats. And if you remembered it from last year, we did some book chats last year. But before we jump in to today's episode, I just hope that you were able to listen to last week's episode, which is number 100. It was so much fun. It was super exciting that we have 100 episodes and we talked about 100 favorite things and it was just a blast. I hope you go back and listen to that one. So today is 101. I am so glad that you're joining us for these book chats. Um, Erica Simpson is back with me. Erica, I'm glad you're here. Thanks, Julie, for having me. And we are both thrilled to be able to read through this book together and talk about it on these little short podcast episodes. Um, Well, I don't really mean thrilled, do I? (laughs) I mean, (laughs) maybe I shouldn't use the word thrilled. Erica, are you thrilled to talk about the topic of contentment? Well, I'm kind of guessing that it's a little bit like that joke of how not to pray for patience. Right. Like you're sure to get chances to learn it. So um, it's a little bit like that. Uh, sure to learn contentment, yes. maybe the hard way. But um, thank you for inviting me back, Julie. I'm really excited to have a reason to read this book. I'm really excited to be here with you. And um, this book's been on my list for a while. So yeah. I hope others enjoy it too. Yeah. Now, we're not going to next year pick a book. We're going to stick with these simple books that are short. They're not simple. Let me go back. It's not a simple book, but it's a short book, so anybody can read. Mm -hmm. It doesn't take, and you and I both found something really cool. We actually both listened to it. Mm -hmm. In addition, I read it Mm -hmm. years ago, and then I reread it, and then I listened to it. And there is something about listening to it that I think is really good. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you have Audible or you have a way to access it um, online, it's great to listen if you're busy, just like a podcast. Mm -hmm. All right, Erica, I'm really excited to talk about this book with you. I enjoyed our our conversations last summer. Mm -hmm. We did the book How to Be Free from Bitterness. And I will be honest that I've pulled that book off the shelf multiple times to reference it. I just really needed to review things that were in it, and I think we're going to have that happen this time, too. I think I'm going to be pulling this book off the shelf mm-hmm. <laughs> frequently. Um, but if you didn't get a chance to listen to the How to Be Free from Bitterness book chats, I encourage you to head back. They are in our archives. Um, okay, so as you know, we are going to be talking about Learning Contentment by Nancy Wilson. Um, you can grab that book anywhere you want. It's on 
you know, Amazon or other places. And even if you didn't read it, I do think you could sit and listen to this podcast and you would learn a lot. Mm -hmm. um, one thing that I wanted to share is a few years ago, Nancy Wilson came to our church for a women's retreat. And I was so impacted by it. And particularly one story that she shared that has stuck with me um, since then, and, and that was probably 10 or 12 years ago. Do you remember when she came? I do, yes. Um, she shared this great illustration about how easy it is to make this rut in your brain. She gave an example of riding bikes in the backyard. Maybe it's because my kids were riding bikes all over at the time, but I remember this. The more you ride in the same path, the more of the grass kind of gets weared away and the dirt starts to show and it might rain here and there. And then the next time you go to drive on that same path, it's soft and you kind of make a little indent or a little, a little rut down in the bottom. And of course, over the course of time, as you continue on the same path, the rut becomes deeper and deeper until maybe it's like an inch or even two inches deep for your bike and how difficult it is to get out of that two inch deep um, you know, rut with your bike. It's just really hard. You actually have to stop. You have to like almost pick your bike up, set it on the side to get out of the rut. She shared how easy this is for us to get this in our brain, to get this wrong thought in our brain and go over it and over it and over it until we make a rut. You know, it could be unforgiveness towards somebody. It could be a lie that we're believing. It could be a repetitive story that we keep telling ourselves about something that happened in the past that we're embarrassed or upset about, or maybe even just replaying what could happen in the future. Um, I can't tell you how practical that has been in my life. Sometimes I tell myself, get off the bike and pick it up. <laughs> get out <laughs> of the good. rut, you know? So I know this little piece of wisdom was great for me, and I have a feeling that this book, Learning Contentment, is going to be a lot like this story. It's mm -hmm. going to be very applicable to each and every one of us, and it's going to be packed with powerful truth. Yeah. Erica, why don't you start by giving us an overview of this book? Well, I mean, just to kind of piggyback off what you said, Julie, Nancy um, Wilson has a way of making such practical applications yeah. and very short and powerful and great word pictures. So let me say that at the outset, that even though this is a small book, um, it is mighty, yeah. and as are all of her books. But um, she draws a lot of quotes and wisdom from scripture, and she talks about how she's spent years gleaning that on contentment. And in particular, I know that she studied Thomas Watson and Jeremiah Burroughs. I think he wrote The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, yes. um, Puritan writers. And she kind of boils it down to 21st century um, thinking. Mm. And it has a thoughtful and practical way of reframing situations and trials with, that we face as Christians. And then she looks for the path of contentment. So it's just reframing our circumstances through the eyes of contentment. I find um, personally super helpful and just a really good book. Yeah, I um, I own books by Thomas Watson and Jeremiah Burroughs, but they are definitely harder to get mm -hmm. through. I, but yeah. I started The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment multiple times, <laughs> and it's cool that she references it. Mm -hmm. So that's another good book to read, although I have not made it all the way through. I, I should put that one on my shelf or make us talk about that in next year's <laughs> book chat. I don't know. We need more time. <laughs> right. Okay, um, today we are just going to talk about the first two chapters and the introduction, okay. actually, today. And then next week, we're going to talk about chapters three and four. So we are going to be interspersing these book chats along with some other real life examples um, for the next few months. Hmm. Um, we're going to talk about the contentment in the middle of moving. Like if you are called to move across country, we're going to talk about contentment when you change from being a career woman focused on a job to all of a sudden you are now a mother and how that transitions 
and when you maybe have chosen to stay home, we're going to talk about body image on one of these mm. because this is an area that I think a lot of women struggle with. I know I do. And so um, it's good to talk about what does that look like? How can we be content with the way God made our body? Okay, we're also going to talk with a woman about a very specific topic that actually I've had some women say, I really want to know what to do in this. And that is, how can we be content when God blesses us with a special needs child? And what does that look like? Mm. Um, and um, so I think those are coming up over the course of the next few months. So stay tuned because in between our conversations about the book, we're going to be talking about the real life examples. Although I think Erica, you and I have a lot of real life examples that we're <laughs> going to talk about too. Yes, Okay, so let's start with the introduction. Um, that's probably the first thing we should do. I, sometimes I skip introductions in books because I think, ah, I don't need to do that, but mm -hmm. I didn't in this one. Mm -hmm. So was there anything that was really impactful to you, Erica? Um, yeah, I was really hit by the statement that God is doing this. She's talking about Paul. God is doing these things for him, not to him, in particular, mm. the challenges that he faces. Um, and so it's like switching those two little words can entirely change the way you frame your trials. Um, it has a Romans 8.28 vibe to it that God is indeed working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so the things we walk through aren't being done to us like we are victims, but they are being done for us and mm. that God will use it for our ultimate good. Mm. Yeah, that's really good. That's interesting just to flip mm -hmm. two words and it really gives you different totally. perspective, different connotation. I actually liked one thing that she mentioned um, and that was that each of us can learn contentment mm -hmm. and each of us should learn contentment. I guess we're word people today because yeah. I kept thinking about those two little words can and should. And she said, it's an important part of our Christian life. It is not optional. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really interesting. It's not like, oh, I'm not, I'm just going to be like, we sometimes will say, oh, that's just my personality, right? My personality is I'm just not very content. We can't live like that. Mm -hmm. We have to change and it's not an optional thing to practice contentment. It's something we need to do. Mm -hmm. um, it's super easy to justify our sin of discontentment and follow our natural impulses. I think contentment is good for any woman to work on, really, no matter your age. Erica, would you read the definition of contentment that's in the last paragraph of the introduction? I think that's just a really great place to start. Okay. Well, earlier, actually, in the introduction, she writes that contentment is a deep satisfaction with the will of God. And in the end of that intro, she concludes by saying, contentment is the ability to stay satisfied with God's will in all circumstances, whether easy or difficult. Hmm. So if contentment is the ability to stay satisfied with God's will, no matter what it looks like, well, I know I have some work to do. <laughs> Me too. Because sometimes I think, oh, I've already learned con that contentment lesson. Um, mm. While I go to bed in my warm, cozy um, bed every night, but could I say that if I were in Ukraine, sleeping in a subway station for the last mm. two months with no end in sight? And I'm like, whoa. I mean, that's a whole level of contentment I have not yet known. Yeah. And so Paul knew these hardships and so much more. And so have many believers and Christians. And um, he learned the secret of contentment in both plenty and in want. And it was that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Mm. So no matter what the circumstances, we can stay satisfied in God's will because God himself will strengthen us to do it. And it's something we need to learn and we can learn it. So just like you said, that's really a yeah. good encouragement. <laughs> yeah, it's a good place to start because it's easy to think we do not need to work on this. But mm -hmm. every woman, whether she's been a Christian for 45 years or she's been a Christian for 45 days, mm 
it's something we all need to be working on. Mm-hmm. Erica, why don't you give us a few sentence summary of chapter one, because that's what we're going to jump into next. It's called Fa- The Father's Contentment. Mm-hmm. So chapter one, yeah, called The Father's Contentment, and it's showing how contentment brings rest and that discontentment is fertile ground for growing sin. And she kind of walks through how God was satisfied with his work in creation, and then he rested, and that Jesus fulfilled the work the Father called him to do, um, and he was content with this work. It was Mm. pleasing to the Father as well as to Christ. So Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. In Hebrews 12, 2, likewise, she said, when we follow Christ in humility and obedience, we'll find rest for our souls. But sometimes that rest seems elusive. Mm. So Julie, why do some people call themselves perfectionists? Is it intended to be a flattering statement? Well, I think people think of it as a good character trait to be Mm. a perfectionist. But it's definitely flattery to think of ourselves as perfectionists, right? Like uh, she reminds us that a perfectionist is never satisfied with his or her work. I really like um, her illustrations in the book. A perfectionist always has high standards. She's always thinking it could be better, when, which really means it's never good enough. And they're never satisfied with their work. And this is really a combination of pride and honestly self-deception. Mm-hmm. So a perfectionist is actually never content. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think it's interesting, um, a perfectionist, because sometimes we, our world looks at it as if it's a positive thing. Mm -hmm. But really, when you look, kind of dig down into something like that, there's actually the idea that it's pride is the base, Mm -hmm. and that pride is so linked to contentment or discontentment. So, Erica, can you think of ways that a perfectionist can be annoying to others? Mm -hmm. Well, at its most obvious, I guess a perfectionist is never satisfied. So maybe it's with themselves and they're constantly critiquing themselves or not measuring up to perfection or um, they demand perfection from themselves Mm. and others. And so they can be a little maybe control freakish or um, might not share responsibilities or recognition or maybe never delegate. So I think those can be annoying things if, if perfectionism yep. runs strong in us. Um, and also, just like you said, pride, like perfectionism boasts in the work of their own hands, and it's a very prideful thing. Um, also, on the flip side, though, it, it can be a reason why someone is lazy, I think, because um, they make excuses to never get started because it will never be perfect enough. Oh, yeah. Like they might know mentally, I have an expectation in my mind. I'm just never going to meet that. So why even try? Mm. <laughs> so sometimes I've heard people say like maybe um, who are hoarders or something that right. perfectionism is actually at the heart of it for them. So oh, yeah. it's, a, it's a surprising Uh, Yeah, you would never connect those two. No, but there's something in that thought process. Yeah. Anyways, Christ calls us to a lowliness of mind, not a high view and a perfect view of ourselves. Mm. But, Julie, what do you think keeps us from lowliness of mind? Uh, Me. Can I just (laughs) stop there? (laughs) Just me, myself, and I. If I, I keep myself from lowliness of mind, you know, she has a quote in chapter one that I thought was really impactful. It says, selfish ambition, so that's looking out for myself, pushes forward. It's mm-hmm. always running. And it it's, needs to be in the forefront. It's pushing to get there. Mm-hmm. 
Um, conceit thinks only of itself and runs on pride and vanity, which I thought was really interesting. Um, you made a comment that her word pictures are good, but mm -hmm. that is so interesting. Conceit thinks only of itself and runs on pride and vanity. But if we want to imitate the mind of Christ, we must be more concerned with others than ourselves. Mm -hmm. And this is what keeps us in a lowly, lowliness of mind. So I'm the reason, my pride, my selfishness, my self-focus, these are all things that keep me from real, honest lowliness of mind. The same mind of Christ that is talked about in Philippians. Let me read that. It's Philippians 2, 4 through 7. It says, Let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also to the interest of others, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. I mean, that's a really powerful reason. That's super interesting to think about, that we need to have a lowliness of mind. Or the other way to say that is the mind of Christ, because it is due to the fact that I need to do that, because otherwise it's my selfishness and pride that lead my mind. Mm -hmm. So it's something we need to be thinking about for sure. What, what about the world, Erica? What's the world's view of lowliness of mind? Hmm. It doesn't seem the world has much use for lowliness of mind. <laughs> That's true, yes. <laughs> um, instead, like you were talking earlier, it, it loves selfish ambition. It rewards that. Um, it loves the hustle and the push forward. Mm. And really, the world runs on discontent. I mean, you think of marketing campaigns yes. and um, sales pitches. It's all like your version of this is not good enough. We have a yep. new one coming yep. out, and Same. that's what you have right. to have. 23% more, you know. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. Um, and so it's also rooted in pride and vanity. So as for the world's view of lowliness of mind, I'd say it's a pretty foreign concept, um, and it seems pretty meager and unimportant to have a lowliness of mind in the world's eyes. Um, it's not worth pursuing because it just doesn't meet human ambitions. Yeah, so when we do that, we're completely being countercultural. Yes. If we are trying to have a lowliness of mind. Yes. And Christ is our example in that way um, that the way up is actually down. And my kids used to listen to a song that went, If you want to be great, if you want to be tall, you must be a servant to all. Hmm. And I love that. It's just a little jingle in my head sometimes that um, if you want to grow in godliness, it comes by following Christ's example, and that is by taking the form of a servant. Mm. So this takes a humility and a lowliness of mind, which, as Nancy writes, looks for its duties. And so contentment looks for its duties. It asks the question, how can I serve and steward this situation in a way that honors and obeys God? Yeah. So... Um, you think about what discontents you've allowed to take root in your life. Julie, do, you, do they involve duties that you may be shirking? Or <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I could answer that too. But yeah. if so, how can you address yeah. them? Well, first off, thank you for being the first person to sing on the podcast. <laughs> That's amazing. And I was laughing because I thought this was a different song when you started singing it. Because uh -huh. I have a song that my kids sang, you know, that I even learned as a little girl. It's interesting how music uh -huh. and those truths like getting them into our brains, this is, I mean, here you are many years later. Yes. I don't think your kids listen to it anymore. Maybe yeah. they do. I guess I envision They would recognize kids. it if I yes. sang it and, in a second. And it's in your brain. Yeah. It's a little piece of truth. This is why they say sing it and you'll never forget That's it, right? right? So we should be singing scripture songs. That's right. Okay, so you asked about in duties that I've shrieked or you asked about duties that I've shirked, <laughs> um, discontents that I've allowed mm -hmm. to take root in my life. Um, 
I think one of the things for me, sometimes I'm just discontent with my spot, mm. um, my station of life. Like, I really want a different spot. I want a different position, you know. It might actually be an actual, like, titled spot in a ministry, or it might just be I wanted a relationship with someone, mm. a friendship. And I was discontent because I wasn't in the, air quotes, group mm. that everybody else was in. Instead of looking around for who I could be befriend. And actually what happens when I do that is I am just thinking about me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not thinking about who else is standing around me or what job I have in front of me that God has put there for me to do. And actually I'm not trusting God's plan is best when I really am constantly desiring to be someplace else. I'm actually balking at God's plan. I guess, how do I address it? Um, maybe the best thing for me to do is to put a new rut in my brain, right? To remind myself not to think about myself or my spot, but instead to think about God and how can I glorify him and serve him in this situation. Um, I think that the rut that I mentioned earlier, you know, I need to tell myself truth because if I don't tell myself truth, I'm actually probably telling myself lies. You know, tell myself I'm not in a bad spot or a bad job or an unwanted friendship, but instead this is where God put me. So this is where he wants me to serve and work. Mm -hmm. And even if it's not something that anyone else sees, you know, telling myself truth is not an easy habit to start though. And it definitely takes work Mm. to do. That is really helpful, Julie. I totally agree. And it seems like so many of our discontents are rooted in that selfishness that we don't have what we want. Um, So we're dissatisfied with God's provision, but there are always duties right in front of us, right where we are today that need tended to. And so if we would just be faithful there, I suspect that the discontent would quickly leave because a car in motion is a car in motion. It's not sitting idle. Hmm. It's got somewhere to go. It's parts are in use. It's like not sitting around uselessly idling. Hmm. And so I think when we're doing that and just uselessly kind of looking at the other side of the fence and the greener grass that we're not being useful where we are. So we always have duties to tend to in our lives. We have roles today which need tending to. Mm-hmm. And it may not be what we want to be doing, but it is where we have work to do. Yeah. And so being faithful in today gives the satisfaction and the rest of doing our duties well. And it could possibly pave the way for those blessings that we might desire in the future. So it's just like that scripture about being faithful with the little. Mm -hmm. You may be given more later. Um, But even if you're not, still be faithful in the little, um, which probably really isn't that little anyways. Right. Um, But there is a contentment in today and being faithful in this day. I really love that question you asked earlier that I think would be a good question to ask ourselves when we are faced with some situation that we might look at and it might make us discontent. And the question is, how can I steward or use this, serve this situation in a way that honors and obeys God? Mm. Like that's a question that we should, I don't know, questions are good. Mm-hmm. They make they beg to be answered. And I think that's something we should ask ourselves when we are faced with discontentment. That's a great application. And I just think it's great to think about. So mm. yeah, that's good. Okay, let's jump into chapter two, which mm-hmm. is called God's Promises. Okay, mm-hmm. this chapter Oh, I think it's a really good chapter, Um, and it's really focused on God's promises, Mm -hmm. so I love when titles are easy. (laughs) It's loaded with good examples of tons of them. So, for example, it gives the example of Joshua, and I love this story because it's, I have a son named Joshua, so this is why I named him this, because I was reading the book of Joshua. You can tell why I named every one of my kids, because they all have Bible names, 
and it was because where I was reading at the time. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so Joshua, the Bible Joshua, that is not my son, but mm -hmm. he is given a charge to be strong and of good courage that he may observe all the things of the law which Moses had commanded, which is really God commanding, right? And they would be good things that would come of this. There'd be prosperity and good success for Joshua, but really all of this ties together with trust. Part of Joshua believing his promise, this promise, is the action that comes with it. He needed to not just give lip service to the idea of being strong and courageous. Yes, I'm strong, I'm courageous, I can do it. But he actually needed to go do something. And that required great faith and trust in God's promise, and it required obedience to God. And God keeps his word. If you read all the way through the book of Joshua, God does prosper Joshua and does give him success. But Joshua obeyed God. I think this is a really key piece in this chapter is that we need to be obedient to what God has given to us. And he is very clear that we shouldn't be full of covetousness and greed. We need to be content with where God has put us. How, do, how does God's promise that he will never leave us help us obey the command to be content? Mm -hmm. So Hebrews 13:5, which backs up this command to be content with a promise, it says, let let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, to me, this kind of seems like an unrelated conclusion yeah. when you first read the verse. It's like a non sequitur. Um, be content, I will never leave you. Unless you realize that God himself and Christ are our provision. Hmm. Um, it doesn't say be content, I'll give you what you want later. <laughs> right. He's saying, um, be content, you have me. Mm. So how much value you place on that promise reflects how much we actually value Christ. And so, by the way, Christ is the greatest prize mm. we could ever have. Amen. So you don't actually have to have that tchotchke that you want in the world. Um, you can be content with what you have. And what do you have? You have Christ. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Hmm. It's like God can just do the mic drop there. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but what more could we want? What, what more could we need? Hmm. We have this greatest gift in Christ. All other gifts are lesser gifts. So whatever we face um, in our real, physical, tangible needs, we will not be left impoverished. We have Christ. And hmm. this is our reason for contentment, that God is always with us if hmm. we are believers. Amen. Jesus. So, Julie, are there areas in your life where you lack courage? I know I do um, to be content. And would you talk about why might you be afraid to choose to be content? Yeah, I think of new challenges. I, I, I have, you know, like when you're building two families through marriage. Mm. I think that was a hard one. I remember years ago when I was newly married, it was time you had to please both parents, my parents and my in-laws. Mm. And holidays, let's just say holidays, that was so hard. We did finally work a system and I we spent a lot of time talking about it, both my husband and I, and then also with our respective parents. And actually my parents and my in-laws were just super gracious. Mm -hmm. um, we just adjusted and made it work. But I'm on the other end now, okay? So now I'm the in-law. Mm -hmm. And my son got married a few years ago and I have to practice being content in holidays with whatever time I get with my son and his new wife. And to top that off, this summer, I'm going to have a brand new baby join mm -hmm. the family, and th they're having it. I'm not. <laughs> that sounded funny. But I'm going to be a grandma. Mm -hmm. And I'm excited about that. But 
there's also another grandma and there's also another whole family. And so this is where we have to practice contentment. It's a different view of contentment, right? It's something different. Mm -hmm. I think also we grow up as women thinking when we start to have children that we'll always have these kids with us all the time, but then they grow up. Mm -hmm. I remember years ago, I was a new mom and my son was maybe a year old and I was working in the church nursery with this little old woman. Her name was Donna Vive. She was absolutely adorable. I think she was probably like 90 or something. Um, the interesting thing about her is she, she at the time was the only person I know who had 12 or maybe 14 kids. I can't mm. even remember. But um, So she had a lot of kids, and it was crazy to me how many children she had. I had one, and I was like, how do you do this? <laughs> know. You know, We had two services at the church I was going to, and she served every single Sunday morning in the first service with the nursery of the infants every single week. So this particular Sunday, I was sitting in with her. It was my turn in the nursery, and we were talking about the upcoming holidays. I don't even remember if it was Easter or Christmas. But I do remember something very specific that she mentioned. I asked her, what it was like trying to get all of those kids, and now at this point they were all married and they had tons of grandkids. I think she was even a great grandma. Mm. How was it to get them all under the same roof? I said, I bet that's crazy. I mean, how do you even get their schedules to all work? She looked at me and without missing a beat, she said, you know what? I'm getting older every day, which was, by the way, a little obvious. <laughs> and she said, I just want to enjoy my kids and my grandkids with any amount of time I can get from them. Mm. She said, I don't want to be remembered as a crotchety old woman or an old mother-in-law who doesn't, isn't happy unless she gets her way on holidays. She said, I want to be remembered as the mom or the grandma or the great grandma who is kind and loving and just enjoys being with her kids and her family whenever she can. Mm -hmm. Now, I remember sitting there and that stuck in my head 24 years ago because, you know, that was where I was. I was a 24-year-old woman and I think I can do the math. I'm 48 now. so <laughs> But 24 years ago and it still stuck with me today. I, I really hadn't thought about it, but she put that idea in my head then and here I am now working on it 24 years later. And I think it's good. I don't want to be an old crotchety woman who's complaining all the time. Now, one more thing to think about. When my son was getting married, an older woman that I knew in the church we all attend, um, she said, you know what the mother of the groom is supposed to do? And I said, no, what is she supposed to do? Thinking she was going to tell me you know, very specific things. She's supposed to buy this or whatever. She said, well, your job is just to smile and step back. And it was kind of a crazy concept. And I remember looking at her and thinking, okay, but it resonated in my head and over and over during that wedding preparation and it's still there. It's good for our kids to grow up and it's something we need as women to be content with. This is actually good for them. And as an adult, I need an adult in-law, I need to be careful not to be meddling into their affairs let, and be content with the amount of time I get with them, the conversations I get with them and be happy. I'm pretty cautious. Well, I guess you'd probably have to ask my son and daughter if I'm cautious, but <laughs> I try to be cautious about mm -hmm. it, and it's still a work in progress. Mm -hmm. I'm not there. Wow. Oh, those are some really great lessons and tips to keep in mind, and I personally am sitting here appreciating hearing them because I'm, I'm not in that season quite yet. Our first child is getting married this June, so it really does feel different moving into this new season of life and becoming someone else's mother-in-law. Mm. <laughs> it's a weird yep. feeling. Um, so yeah, I want to do that graciously, and I like the uh, mother of the groom advice. That's yeah. good. Smile and step back. So yes. I'm going to work I on that. I think we need to get shirts. <laughs> Smile and step back. I think I every good. mother of the groom needs that. Yes, so. here I am smiling. Um, but I hope I can be gracious like that. What an example that woman is yes. to, to you and now to all of us. Um, yeah. Yep. 
Okay, Erica, what are some things you are dealing with that can be helped by remembering that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you? Probably that wedding is one of them, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And I do feel a lot of joy over that. And so it's easy when it's a happy situation. Yes, yes. Um, I probably find it hardest to be content when I'm actively walking through a hard situation. Yeah. So uh, it's easy for me to feel unloved or abandoned by God when I'm facing a hard trial. I can quickly forget that God is doing this for me and not mm. to me. Right, back to those two yes. little words. And so, of course, it's an important thing to do while walking through a trial is to examine my own heart. I am not perfect and I sin, so I need to be willing to address that and repent where I am wrong. But beyond that, then, I need to believe that God is able to work good in mm. every circumstance. Amen. So my job is to trust him and thank him and continue to obey him even when things aren't adding up justly or the way that they really should. But I can also cast my cares on the Lord and find rest if I've done my duties to be faithful. So if, I, if I've evaluated my heart and I'm hmm. working to be clean before the Lord in the situation, then I have a certain peace that I can cast my cares upon the Lord and I can rest in him, and I can do the next thing I'm supposed to do. Mm, boy, that's great wisdom. Great wisdom. I love that you talked about how really what you said is that it's a choice we make mm. of whether we're going to, you know, trust God and be content because we, and you're talking about that rut in our brain again. Mm -hmm. Let's put the rut in our brain that to believe that God is able to do, to work good in every circumstance. Yeah. Because it is hard to see it. It is, and you really have to, I think that is where, you know, focusing on the truth yeah. um, pulls us through those hard times. Yeah. Um, so kind of shifting gears, Julie, do you ever have a desire to compete with someone else for attention? And if so, how do you apply God's promises to free you from this? Okay, wait a minute. Why do I always get these hard <laughs> application questions? Because you're so good at them. So. <laughs> I don't know about that. They come easy. Um, okay, I, I can't answer this one, though. I would mm. normally tell you that I am not competitive at all. Mm. Like, you know, I would likely apologize to you if we were playing dodgeball and I hit you. <laughs> um, well, actually, I'd have to hit you first, which would be the first amazing thing because <laughs> I'm really not sportsy. But... I, I really would tell any anyone, oh, I'm not competitive. But if I'm really honest, I think I am competitive at my core. And actually, I think we all are. Mm -hmm. Because com competition, I'm not talking, you know, competition really is looking out for yourself. And so obviously when you're playing a sports game and you're competitive, you want your team to win, that's looking out for yourself. I'm not sure that's sin. But I do think deep down inside, my core is competitive and I want to be in the spotlight and I want to be the leader and I want to be recognized. Um, you know, the quote, every time a friend succeeds, something in me dies. Mm -hmm. I think that's me often. Mm -hmm. I have really struggled in my life with celebrating good things others get, not houses or cars or uh, jewelry. I could care less about those, but for me, it's always position and status. Um, I have really had to work on this and it's not something that I can tell you that I have completely conquered. Actually, I likely will never conquer it on my own, but the Holy Spirit's at work and I just have to practice this constantly. And honestly, it's back to the rut in my brain. It's telling myself that God is sovereign and that he is at work for good for me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I love this idea that we can retrain our brains mm -hmm. to think proper thoughts because I think that's where a lot of the contentment battle happens is in our brain. Mm -hmm. um, so it's your turn, Erica. Okay. 
All right. Uh, why is covetousness, I can't even say that word, good grief. Why is covetousness so bad? Hmm. Well, I had never thought of it quite like this before, but Nancy kind of draws out the point that um, the sins begin as seeds in our heart, like you just mm. said. So just as Jesus talks in the Sermon on the Mount, like if you hate in your heart, you have committed murder. Hmm. If you right. lust in your heart, you have committed adultery. Right. And it's like the outcropping of those seeds which we think are, are innocent when they're in our heart, um, but when they come out, it's it's something very grotesque. Right, and, and they're not bad. innocent in our heart. Not they're a, actually sin. Exactly. Yeah. I don't want to imply that. But um, So maybe likewise, if you're covetous in your heart, then you've stolen. Hmm. So covetousness is like stealing from your neighbor in your heart. Wow. You want what they have. You don't want them to have that thing, that person, or that character quality. But the command is clear. Do not covet. Um, when we covet, it's saying that what God has given us is not good enough and we want more. And you may even be mad that your neighbor has what you don't have. Mm. And so it's really an ugly and terrible sin in our heart and the yeah. outcropping of it. So Yeah, it is. Yeah, and the, that's very interesting how you took that concept from, you know, hating in your heart to being murder, lusting in your heart to being, you know, adultery. Mm-hmm. And coveting in your heart is really stealing. Mm-hmm. And those really all go back to the, the big ten, the Ten Commandments, mm-hmm. which God commands us to not do, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, or to obey, because some of them are said in a positive way, right? Mm-hmm. You know, right. honor your parents. So I'm not saying don't do the right. Ten Commandments. Right. But that's really interesting. Now we gotta apply it though, mm-hmm. because this is the thing about this book. It is a book full of application. Mm-hmm. Um, what's one thing to start working on? Um, for you, Erica, I'm gonna tell you mine first. Okay. So you have time to think, okay? Mm-hmm. I think I need to be more aware of what contentment is and how we are called to be content. Um, it's really plenty of application for me. Like I need to start there this week. Um, I need to be prayerful about where in my life I'm not content, which means I need to ask God to show it to me. Because sometimes I think I'm responding out of discontentment and I probably have no idea that I'm being discontent. Um, so for example, um, I know I need to be content right now with some areas in my life where I want to be in charge, but I'm not. Like I talked earlier about the changes with having a kid grow up and move out. I have no control now. And so I need to be com- not complain and not be critical when someone else is doing it a different than I do. I think that's a big one. I mm-hmm. think that will be good. And I think instead of being the chief complainer, I need to be the chief encourager mm-hmm. this week because I think that's kind of a great way to balance contentment is to look at what is God doing in this situation. What about you? That's really good. Um, I think I want to make sure that I'm also along the lines of complaining, not complaining in my mind Mm. or to my close friends and family, but rather looking for ways that God is working. You know, as I talked about, walking through hard trials really exhaust me. Um, And so lately there's stuff going on that I just, it grinds on me. So I think those battles can be fought and won in my mind. And Mm. so I think I need to work on not complaining. Um, Which is the rut. Yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking. This is back to the same concept. Right. And I, I was thinking too that contentment is a safeguard. It's, we're told in Philippians, um, it's Mm. a weapon against sin. So if discontent is the seedbed of sin, then contentment is the seedbed of joy. Oh, if we're living good. in a posture of gratitude to God in every circumstance, we're looking for his providence and his blessings, no matter what the circumstance, 
then we will be able to be satisfied by God in mm. every situation. So it's a safeguard for our heart and mind. It's like mm. the putting off and the putting on. So that's, that's great. That's practical. Yeah, I'll take your application too. Mm. I probably should work on that one too. Yeah. So we'll put yeah. that on my list too. <laughs> but that is really a good thing. Contentment safeguards our heart and our mind in Christ. And that's really, really, I think we've discussed already, the battle of our mind is where contentment mm-hmm. is fought. Yes. Without a doubt, discontentment is always there and we need to kind of root it through, root it out. Okay, Erica, we're almost done with today's episode, mm-hmm. which I'm glad you've been on. It's been great. Yeah. But let's end with listing some things. Let's kind of do a little back and forth. Okay. Um, of Sometimes people are in where they it's easy to look at the negative and look at what they're not able to do. So let's help women, how we've learned to do this, to flip it, right? Mm-hmm. And so maybe your mother-in-law doesn't ask you to make help with Thanksgiving the meal. You just come which I'd be like, okay, I'll just come. <laughs> but when you're a young mom and you're a young woman and you're excited to make food and you don't get asked, that can be discontentment. Or maybe, um, you know, there's a group of ladies that get together and play euchre every Monday night and you're never included. Um, so these are just our brainstorms of things that, you know, just right now, things we thought of that might be helpful to get you thinking about how to practice contentment in our everyday life. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to do this in our top 10. All right. Not really our top 10, just... The top 10 things on the top of our our brains. Right. Okay, so let's say, number one, if you are asked, if you are not asked to help or lead a ministry event, one thing you could do instead of leading that ministry event or being involved is you could talk to the women who are attending the event. Welcome them, ask them questions, get to know them. Maybe even just asking them to sit with you at your table. I mean, this is such a great way to serve and nobody ever asks people to do this. Hmm. But it's a great way to flip that. That's awesome. Um, if you're feeling particularly down on yourself or your circumstances, what if you purpose to find a way to serve someone else? Mm. Um, this is just general, but it's so helpful to take your eyes off your yeah. own problems and have a happy heart and a joy in the Lord. These are often the byproducts of helping someone else. Yeah, that's, that's really good. Okay, so let's say you're not asked to teach the children's Sunday school or help with the children's program that you've really wanted to help with. Um, Maybe you love hanging out with kids. Well, you could start just by talking to the children at your church every week or the kids in your neighborhood. You could maybe get some stickers at the dollar store Mm -hmm. or candy and, you know, put some Smarties down there and hand them out and have little conversations with kids. I know that as a mom, when people invest in my kids, it blesses me Mm -hmm. so much. And again, nobody ever asks Mm -hmm. anybody to do this on a Sunday morning. It's just a way, again, to get your eyes off yourself. That's a great idea. Um, Something I've been thinking about lately is, as we've been talking about, we're all by nature self-centered people. Yes, Yes, we are. We can think that the world really does revolve around us and deliberately, um, I think, humbling ourselves and looking for ways to humble ourselves is so helpful. I heard somebody one time say, okay, stop, stop. Did you hear that? Is the world revolving around you? It was a little yeah. bit sarcastic, but there is some but truth no, in it. No, it is so easy to get into that everything is for me. Right. So I've been doing this in worship, and it's been helping me. So when you're in church, and try this the next time you're in worship, um, instead of thinking about how significantly the lines of the song are for you, how God has loved you, how he has blessed you, which he has, and we should be rich in that yeah. thankfulness. But try putting yourself in your neighbor's shoes. Mm. You likely know some of the challenges your brothers and sisters in Christ are facing. So try singing the songs through their eyes. Mm. Um, it might broaden your perspective significantly. God loves all of his children. And the encouragement that you draw 
is for them as well. Oh, that's so a- some of those awesome verses and hymns, think of your neighbor and how mm. that applies to them as that, you know them. That's a really great idea because it, again, not only gets our eyes off someone else, but it then causes me to realize we're kind of all in this together. Exactly. You know, that's good. Yeah. Um, I guess mine are all related to ministry because I like to be involved. <laughs> so um, if you wish you were, if you wished you were asked to lead a ministry event um, and you weren't, because this happens, people don't get asked to do things and they think, well, I would have done that, right? Uh-huh. Well, could you pray for the people in that ministry? Maybe you could even set a reminder on your phone to pray every day for that upcoming event. Uh-huh. Prayer is such a powerful thing. And it's a great way for you and I to serve, even if we're not asked to lead the ministry or even help with the ministry. Mm. We can stand in the gap, mm-hmm. in so to speak, and pray for whatever the event is. Mm-hmm. That's good. Um, this is maybe along those lines, but look for a way to serve completely anonymously. Oh, that's good. Do something that offers absolutely no chance mm-hmm. of recognition or thanks. And, um, I mean, I am at, I know that the joy that comes from that is is awesome in its own right because it's just between you and the Lord mm-hmm. um, and for that person. So this also, I want to point out, includes serving your family unto the Lord with joy. Mm-hmm. Often nobody's going to recognize you for that. Yeah. Nobody's going right. to say thanks. Maybe. Hopefully your kids do. But um, anyways, do yeah. something anonymously. Right. Serving. I love that. That's great. Um, you could also send thank you notes, you know, maybe, or encouraging notes to somebody in your life. Um, this is a really simple thing. I think thanking people, you know, you made that comment, but thanking people is so good. Mm -hmm. And it's a great way to get our eyes off. And I especially think it's helpful when you are struggling with a leader. Mm -hmm. If you don't really always like what the leader does, or you don't like how they're doing ministry, or you don't like how someone is organizing something, you're, you know, this is a great way. Look for things you can thank them for and be genuine. I'm not saying come up with things, mm-hmm. you know, make up something, but be genuine. What are some things that God is doing? I, I think praying for them is good too, but I especially think thanking them and writing encouragement notes. Mm-hmm. It's so easy to do. That's great. Um, I was thinking to pray for those who persecute you is what scripture says, that mm-hmm. we are called to live at peace with everyone in so much as it depends on us. And still there are times when we may be maligned or despised mm, yes. by others. Yep. And so if you're facing these kind of circumstances, take God's word literally and just pause to pray for your enemies. Ask him to help you love them. Mm. Scripture says that that will actually heap burning coals on their heads, mm-hmm. which isn't what we're going for. But no. <laughs> <laughs> Right, right. You know, and most of us are like, what? I don't have any enemies. Who are these right. people? But sometimes, you know, you find yourself in situations that are yeah. challenging and difficult and relationships can be hard. As they should be. Yeah. And so when that happens, I think just purposing to pray for those Yeah, I think that means people. that our heart doesn't get hard towards them. Yes. I think that's, that's actually, you said safeguard, talked about that word. I think that's a safeguard hmm. to help us not become embroiled in bitterness like hmm. we talked about last summer. I think that's, that's good. Very good. Um, okay, uh, friendships are a big one. Hmm. Sometimes we want to be with a certain group. I mentioned that earlier. I have at times wanted to do it, and I think... Um, a really good thing to do is to not be thinking about why nobody's calling me, why nobody's talking to me, why nobody's inviting me to do things. Instead, flip it and be the includer mm. and come up with things, make invitations, mm. you know, invite people over. Go. And it doesn't have to be fancy. You don't have to have a party or entertain with, you know, filet mignon or something. <laughs> but you can just say, hey, you want to go for a walk at the park and 
if you get shot down, the person can't come. Don't think, oh, nobody loves me, you okay. know? Go and try it again. And if you're a mom, I think one thing that you can do is help your kids with this is open your home up and let people, your kids, have friends in. Hmm. Because it helps them practice the skills of being the inviter. Hmm. And sometimes when my kids were feeling down about friendships, I would literally plan a party hmm. for them and help them come up with ways to get their friends over to invite. And I think that's a really, just a simple thing. And I mean, we're not talking you know, fancy parties or something. We're talking, have popcorn and watch a movie together, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But it, it helps our kids learn that skill of getting their eyes off themselves instead to be able to thinking about who else can I invite. And they and my kids all know when they do that, they have to invite people that don't always get invited mm-hmm. because we've all been there. We've mm-hmm. all been the one who wasn't included. Yes. Oh, I love that. Um, for me, lastly, I would say searching your heart for covetousness. Is there, uh, maybe do a heart check, a checkup. Is there someone that you are avoiding or you dislike being around? And try to articulate how you may be covetous in that relationship. Mm. And then how does the promise that God will never leave you nor forsake you satisfy those longings? How do you need to be grateful rather than discontent? Wow, you're ending with questions. I feel like we should, I should answer those <laughs> since I keep getting the application questions, okay? Seriously, though, those are good. Those are really good questions mm. because it's easy to search our hearts and say, nope, I'm good. But those are more specific. You know, are you avoiding someone? That's good. How can you be more grateful rather than discontent? Yeah, those are good. Hey, thanks, thanks, Erica, for joining us today. Thank you, Julie. It's been yeah. good. We'll be back um, next week. We're going to continue discussing learning contentment by Nancy Wilson. Uh, we'll be on chapters three and four, specifically the questions at the end of those chapters. I'm not making new questions. We're just answering them. Like it's like you're just joining us in our coffee and you know, conversation over here. Um, So grab your coffee and notebook and pen and start reading and responding to those questions. And then join us next week as we chit chat about how we are learning to be content. And remember, when everything around you is shaken, you can stand unshaken because of our rock and our fortress, because of God. Until next time.